Hello and welcome to the Aquarius Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Reed. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Awaza, makers of fine filtration products like the Biomaster Canister Filter and BioPlus Internal Filters. Let's talk about the Biomaster for a moment here. With its removable pre-filter cleaning system, integrated heater option, and ultra-whisper quiet technology, what is not to love about this filter? If you're in the market for a new canister filter, you owe it to yourself and your fish to check out the Awaza Biomaster Canister Filter. Use the links in the show notes and check out these great products. Now, on to the interview. Today's date is Tuesday, August 27th, 2019. My guest today is Andy Biro of Extreme Foods. So this is a uh, this is another first for the podcast. We are in the um, hotel kind of dining lobby area of a Hampton Inn outside the Miami International Airport. And uh, why am I <laughs> at a hotel airport recording an interview? Well, uh, Andy and his brother Rick were gracious enough to uh, take me over to their fish farm, so Florida Exotic Fish Sales, and had a, a fantastic fish tour that uh, you guys will be able to see content of, video footage of on the Aquarium Co-op YouTube channel. So that should be coming out sometime in the near future. So depending on when you're listening to this, um, may or may not be time relevant. But hey, go over, check it out. So Andy, you are the uh, you and Kita, your wife, lovely wife, are the owners of Extreme Fish Food, yep. which is a fantastic fish food brand. And so you've been my tour guide today, um, kind of the reason why I came out here. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. The uh, the whole thing got started with my brother. I just took it over in the last year or so. It used to be an adjunct of the farm. And as Randy will tell you uh, later on when he's talking about the farm, the farm is 100% takes his time. Uh, there's just He just had no time to do anything with Extreme. So I joined him about nine years ago and started doing most of the work. And then just recently I bought him out. And we're still we're still together with it, but uh, he, he's concentrating on the farm and I'm concentrating on, on extreme aquatic food. So I like that you jumped straight into that summer right there, but let's start with, let's start with who Andy Biro is. Um, so where do you, where do you get your start in the hobby? Take me back in the time machine and the way back machine. And how did you get into tropical fish? Well, I think what happened was when we were back at Florida state, I, I was in, I, I got out of up with people, which was a traveling group I was with, went to Florida state where my brother was already going to school there. He had an aquarium. I put an aquarium in my uh, apartment. Freshwater or saltwater? Freshwater. Okay. Everything was freshwater back then. I think I remember I had gouramis and, and rams and uh, killifish. And I think my favorite fish that I had at the time was an archer fish. Okay. I don't know if you've ever seen yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. They were brackish water. And you, you would we, we strung a little uh, piece of string over the top of the aquarium, and we'd put like a mealy worm on it. Mm-hmm. And the archer would zap it off with water. Yeah, nice. We have a, we have a pretty sweet video on the, the YouTube channel of... Uh, archer fish shooting a Sarah O'Nip tab. So that's pretty cool. And they've also shot into Corey's auto feeder that he had over his 800 gallon and they completely ruined an expensive, nice wa- yes. auto feeder. Yes. And then they've actually shot water at him while he's on his computer. So that's... Uh... They can be little buggers. <laughs> but that's what got us into it. And then um, my, I was... Let's see. I was uh, director of youth affairs for the Democratic Party of Florida. Uh, when I was in my senior year in college, and I was working for McGovern, if you can believe it, um, and I was in Washington D.C. at the national convention at uh, at Watergate. If you remember Watergate, okay, yeah. Oh, I mean, I've, I've, I've I know of the. Well, stories. it's interesting because the office that was broken into by those guys was the the youth affairs office, which was where I worked. Oh wow. Yeah, and I met a guy there who had a friend in New York who had a friend in Malawi. 
and they had, they had just come back from Malawi, and they had these gorgeous. You saw them at the day at the farm. Those embunas, mm-hmm. the the the, the um, yellow, the oranges, and they almost looked like saltwater fish. And he had some in his aquarium up there, and he just brought them back in his luggage from Africa. So we talked to Mike Segal, who was up there in New York, and we said, how can we find these? And he said, oh, you can get there. There's a guy in Monkey Bay. His name is Peter Davies. And we started researching it. And Axelrod, you know, from TFH mm-hmm. Magazine, yeah. had gone down there and just done some stuff. So Rick and I, when we graduated from Florida State, we got on, on an airplane and flew down to Malawi, went to Monkey Bay, and met with Peter Davies and started importing. Wow. And we were the first, the first legitimate importers of African cichlids from the southern part of the lake. Back in 1972 or wow. 1971. What was, that, what was that like back in the early 70s of, of going there? Was this your first time going to Africa? Oh, shoot, or? yes. Okay. Oh, shoot, yes. Yeah, we, we got, I mean, we, I'll tell you, the first thing was we got off the airplane in Blantyre, my brother and I. And you remember, this is the 70s. And we had hair down over our ears. <laughs> and we got off the airplane. The police came to, up to us and took us both to a barbershop and had our hair cut. The local police, the local police. took some foreigners... To us to the thing very kind very nice but they say you're not allowed to have long hair in malawi they took us and had our hair cut so what that that did remember rick told you the story about the hippos that set us late no tell tell the story about the hippos okay. too yeah i mean well let's not let's not leave any okay. stone unturned so that here. we were supposed to drive from blantyre to, to monkey bay so we rented a car but because of this haircut thing we were about two hours behind so when we got to monkey bay to the hotel which we had a reservation for it was closed mm-hmm. it wasn't late it was probably 10 o'clock uh-huh but it was, they were close. So what we did was we drove around back and, and we were in this little car and we just stayed in the car overnight. And we heard rumbling and messing around and stuff. Next morning we got up and checked in and had breakfast and they said, where were you? I said, well, you know, we got in late so we stayed around back. Around back and they said, you're still alive because it's a hippo thing, you know. They thought we were gods or something. Because oh my goodness. That. But that was our first, first trek into, uh, into African cichlids and we started bringing them over when we were in Tallahassee and they would come into Miami and we would we would go down there in a truck pick them up and drive them up to Tallahassee then we went back a second time and we met a guy named Eric Fleet and then um, we went back a third time and we met uh, some other people and we went up into the Congo up in the Congo Tanganyika Lake Tanganyika we went up into Lake Victoria up, at, up where we've got some of the Du Boisian stuff and, and I'll be I'll, I'll embarrass myself on my you know African geopolitical history but as far as being able to go into the Congo in the 70s was it not well as... the Congo was on the is on the west side right. so we only went into back then it was called Zaire uh-huh and we only went in there in the main city and talked to some people we didn't actually go off into the into the was it still kind of a time though that you didn't really yeah, want to go? Yeah, yeah, you, mainly because you want to get sick because of all the oh, malaria and okay. stuff. But in Malawi, Mozambique, Tanganyika, Lake Victoria, you could move around in those absolutely no problem at all. Get a car and drive anywhere you wanted. The people, the real people, the the Africans that live there are the most gentle, gentle, gentle people. I'll tell you something that's kind of sad though. You know, AIDS, the biggest country, that ha- the, the most AIDS is concentrated anywhere in Africa is in Malawi. Oh, wow. Right around Lake Malawi, where all these beautiful fish come from. So it's, it's, AIDS has torn that country apart. It's, it's unbelievable. But anyway, back to the story. So when we graduated Florida State, um, we moved to Miami. We bought the five acres, which Rick is on right now. And then Rick has a biology degree. And you could tell from being with him, he knows this stuff hands down yeah yeah nobody else was doing this and by the way all this time all what i did was sales all the the food preparation the farm the water 
the ponds, the thing, that was all Rick. He knew how to, he knew how to do all that stuff. So it just kind of grew from that, and then as the as they the fish started coming in, as Rick started moving into breeding, all we had back then was trout chow, Purina trout chow, trout chow. Say that ten times fast. Right. Purina trout chow. So Rick <laughs> came up with that mixture you had today: krill, shrimp, um, uh, spirulina, and fillers, and the, the rice, baby, the baby, baby, yeah, yeah, the baby yeah. Uh, rice, baby food. But that was the the thing that kind of held it all mm-hmm. together. And then over the years, he just he slowly got that moving from from a mixture that he just threw in the water to something that his people wanted because the, the fish weren't coming in to their stores and weren't keeping mm-hmm. the same vibrant colors. So he put it pelletized it and he put it in bags. And then maybe uh, nine years ago, I helped him move it into jars and we started really pushing it. Mm. Yeah, and I mean the the colors of these fish that are on the fish farm um, are. The, the the level of vibrancy of the colors was just absolutely astounding, and I'll take your guys' firsthand knowledge from it. But you you kept saying that you know no these are these are the colors like you would see in the wild. They are, if not mm-hmm. sometimes more vibrant. Mm-hmm. But you know to be on par with what you see in the wild, um, and some of that being just the husbandry skills that you guys have on the farm with Rick actually having his hands um, involved now, knowing that he actually has a biology degree, that that background, and all mm-hmm. the pieces start falling into place. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of hindsight mm-hmm. after the fact. Yep. Uh, but I mean, the colors were absolutely striking and sure it was warm and humid, but I kind of wanted to just get in there and swim with them Mm -hmm. to have that little micro Malawi feel of, wow, this is what it's like to, you know, to be in Lake Malawi and swim with these beautiful, these beautiful fish. I mean, you know, Rick's trying to talk to me about, you know, what's in each vault. Um, and as I'm walking, I just, my, my eyes just keep getting caught by these darting oranges and blues and the, the iridescence. It was And he even pointed out to you that the fish that he had, because he, he tries to keep wild caught. He brings in wild caught on a regular basis so that he can keep his breeding stock pure. And he showed you the difference between the colors and the, and, uh, of, and the fish that came in and just came in wild and the ones that, in, that were in his tanks. Mm-hmm. And the only thing different was the size yeah. because they don't get the food in the lake big enough to, enough to get big, but the colors are the same. Yeah. Whether they were here or whether they were there, the colors. And that's, what's, that's what makes Extreme kind of unique. And what really is cool is that 1.5 pellet that we use is all that he feeds at the farm. Mm-hmm. It's big, little, aggressive, non-aggressive. That pellet is what, what what he uses. Yeah, I think even the dovia. I think some some 1.5 yep. made it into these uh, dovia little holding areas, which. Um, maybe you can go back and kind of explain that because people are like, wait, I thought we we're talking about African cichlids. Now you're talking about dovii on this farm. What, what's what's going on? Well, you know, um, the farm is really rich, so I don't really know how he got them there. But I do know that the that the ponds all drain out into d- d- different areas where he holds them, and there'll be a large like pits, and in those pits, he's got some dovii in there. But the history of them, I don't, I don't know how they got well, there, but they I were, know they're huge. I think they were just inherently invasive, and they somehow made it over and probably a flood or a hurricane, yep. you know, kind of that, yep. that standard Hurricane Andrew yep. story of, you know, every critter getting out during exactly. Hurricane Andrew into, the, into Florida. Exactly. But, yeah, you've got these, um, you know, I, I kept calling them Roman bathhouse-style um, kind of ponds in the ground. Mm-hmm. or Like uh, small swimming pools Like almost. small swimming pools with actual steps. And you've got the the moss that's been growing on them, plants have been growing on them. So they have this very, you know, ancient, you know, kind of Roman antique mm-hmm. feel to them. And in, in these, there were two of them. One was primarily Dovii, the smaller one, which was still 
2,000 gallons probably. And then the much larger one that was in the center, or at least it seemed like it was much larger, that had two massive pakus that were apparently brought to the farm by somebody. Um, more dovii, couple massive plecos. And you got these all on film, I did. Right? I got those all on film, yeah. So hopefully the, the GoPro footage turned out pretty well, but... That was, um, you know, those were those were two incredibly unique treasures that, you know, going into a tour, going into a fish farm or, or anywhere that, you know, we go yep. in this hobby, that was just something that I wasn't expecting, you yep. know, completely, completely surprised. And I'm and I'm still so enthralled by it that, you know, we're talking yep. about it on this podcast a, a couple hours after the fish farm visit. So that was yep. that was very unique. And, and that farm has won um, practically every year when it was entered in the in the ACA conventions and in the F, FT it's FFFTA Florida Tropical Fish Farmer Association he won almost all the awards for year after year after year for that farm and how it produced and the kind of fish that he had in it I mean it's it's he he spent 40 some odd years in that thing and and I, and I keep pointing to him because extreme is really the left arm of a Florida exotic fish, and I'm just kind of taking it, husbanding it on mm-hmm. down the road here. But I mean, it got started there, it got proved out there, and even now, before we ship anything out, we ship it down to the farm and let him test it, make sure everything's it's still online every every month. That mm-hmm. every every order comes in, and every every milled product works the same as it did mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah, I think and that's we don't a, change it. It's year after year after year. We don't change it. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a pretty good testament. If the food that you have, the food that you sell, is actually being used on a fish farm, yep. and it's a fish farm that's winning awards, it's a yep. fish farm that has incredibly healthy, beautiful fish. Yep. That that's some pretty good proof in the pudding right mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So if we want to, so if we jump back, because I'm still so fascinated by your time that you've spent in uh, in Africa and Lake Malawi. So what? Can you recall what your first experiences were like actually swimming in Lake Malawi? Well, the lake is the lake is absolutely it's huge. I mean, it's it's narrow, kind of narrow, but it's very long, and it's part of the Rift Valley. The Rift Valley has the three lakes in it. The southernmost lake is Lake Malawi, and it you know eventually it trickles down underground and goes through the Shiri River and down all the way into Victoria Falls. And as it goes north, it it's a long sliver of a of a lake, and then there's a little bit of land mass, and then it becomes Lake Tanganyika, which is the second largest, Malawi's the, thir- the smallest, Tanganyika is the second, if I remember right, this has been 40 years, and then Lake Victoria is the largest mm-hmm. lake, and it's the north. And actually, Lake Victoria has the least colorful fish, but it's all that stuff that Tamla was showing you, you know, those, mm-hmm. those, those, I don't even know the names of them anymore, but so the shell the, dwellers yeah, and all that and kind the of calvin, stuff. And the black calvis. That yeah. all comes from Vic Victoria. And Lake Victoria was very, very hard to get fish out of back then. Rwanda, there was all that trouble in Uganda. Remember that Idi Amin? Yeah. He was all back in there killing people left and right. But but Lake Tanganyika, we would get to it by going to Kenya, and then you drive five or 600 miles, I'm thinking, seemed like it, uh, west to get to the lake and do some fishing. But we spent most of our time on Lake Malawi, and we would – we went around Monkey Bay, which is in the southern part, the Shiri River, which was over kind of toward the east, and then we'd go up Mozambique, all the orange, the uh, orange um, um, peak, uh, not peacocks, but what do they call those things? I forgot what they're. Anyway, they came from Mozambique side, mm-hmm. and then up on the on the left side, the Stewarts, Stuart Grant had some stuff at the bottom, and then we took an airplane. Um, I flew with a, in a small, I think it was a 182 or 206. And we flew from Monkey Bay all the way up to Lacoma Island, and that was like a, an hour's trip. And there's a, and this is little island in the, in the middle of nowhere, the northern part of of Lake Malawi. And it's it's the, on the right side is Mozambique, on the left side is 
Malawi, and there's this church there. It's this church on this island, and we landed and looked at the fish and stuff. We went up and visited. It's 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 marvelous. And we were back back then. I'm old guy, you know. Back then we were watching Tarzan on Sundays, you know, Sunday afternoon. So it was like us being ah, you know. So if you were to take a guess, how many days in country on continent do you think that you've spent in Africa? You know, for for oh, not that maybe maybe um, I think Rick and I together maybe we spent six months off and on. That's, that that's, seems like a pretty significant oh, yeah. amount of time. But that's six over months. like, what, five, six years? Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, we went over there and actually st- set up collecting stations, hire, hired locals, and, mm-hmm. and you know, we that's gotta managed. Put you, but that's got to put you two in at least like the top echelon of people in America that have spent time we were in, in our, that area. We were in our say. 20s and 30s, yeah. So, wow. yeah. In our 20s, yeah. Did you guys have any idea that, you know, what you were starting then or that first trip to Africa that this is... No. What? No, as long as we had enough money for pizza, we were fine. <laughs> you know, we drove, both drove nice cars and we had pizza whenever we wanted it. And that was all we were at. We, we loved fish and we loved doing what we were doing. Nice. So give me some other stories from Africa. I, I have to imagine oh that. Uh, if I can't think of any, I'll make some up. Let me think. <laughs> um, well, I mean, we, if we, I guess the trips to Africa were good, but some of the, some of the most interesting things were getting over there. We went one time, we, we, uh, the, the actual fish came from, uh, Monkey Bay. We flew on a on a, a VC10, mm-hmm. which is a uh, bo- uh, British Airways, and we flew from there to to uh, uh, Kenya, and then we flew up to London, and we then we would in London we'd have to reoxygenate everything, and then it flew to Miami, and it got to Miami. We had to reoxygenate everything, and then we brought it up to to uh, Tallahassee at the time. We drove it up there. So there's all kinds of little trail trips on and trails, little side trails on that journey that the fish went on and we ended up by phone tra- tra- tracing them into cyprus or one time we went into germany and we met all some very interesting people all on the way but I, it's and, and you don't have you don't have wechat you're not doing facebook messenger no. back then you don't have any of these no. instant here's how you here's how you make a call you you call up a long distance operator and you say i want to set up a call to this thing for this time of night and then you sit by your phone while they put the call together and if you set up for like 2 a.m you got to be awake at 2 a.m and then they put the call through and half of it and all the stuff in africa was over radio phone there were no wires now europe you could call you know you couldn't dial it but you could get an operator to get it for you but africa it had to be set up because someone had to go out and get the person and they come into a radio phone there there was no there was no dialing there was no wires in africa wow. when we went there I, I i'm i'm so i feel so ashamed that i feel like i'm so soft and squishy from like a technology um you know like a technology baby that there was no computers it, back then that the there idea was nothing. like how you could orchestrate the movement of these fish these these fish on a multinational multi-leg journey and then have to do things like you know set up operator calls it's all to, done it's all wow. done like the space thing it's all done by time you know that it this amount of time the airplane goes from here to here and then so you if it got past that point the uh, you know the airlines were all hooked together i mean they had teletypes back then you know, those machines so we could check in tallahassee um, uh, we could go down to eastern airlines because if some it came into miami on eastern and they could track it say yep it got on the fl- on the flight the vc10 to nairobi and then it got from nairobi to to London, and it's in London right now, and then the tra- we'd get in touch with the transshippers being reoxygenated, so we could follow it that way, but it was wow. paper, and 
Wow. It wasn't like it is now. So from a technology standpoint, obviously you don't have the advantages of instant communication like we have now, but from like a a, a customs clearance from a, a fish and wildlife, were things a little bit easier back then than what you've... Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, there's no drugs. You know, back when I was, there was no way I was importing drugs. So they did, that's what slows everything down mm. now. They're looking for drugs. But as far as customs, customs still checked everything, make sure you're not bringing in any mm-hmm. prohibitive items. And uh, those countries were kind of new at it, so they didn't they didn't monitor what we were taking out of their countries. Mm. But now they monitor that now. Yeah. Can you can you recall like the conditions of the lake in terms of kind of that environmental impact? Because now when I have people like Greg Steves, um, Pam Chin, these other folks that you know are, are very in touch with what happening in those lakes that they point to you know the devastation of now perch the water hyacinth deforestation the runoff into the the shallows just the habitat destruction did you see signs of that no. back then no crystal okay. clear and most of the most of the coast was inhabited by natives that were living right on the coast uh they would they would get on these little boats that were no more than a couple of trees hollowed out they'd go out and they'd have these nets and bring these fish in filled with their nets put them on shore the sun would bleach them they you know they die there on the shore and the sun would bleach them till they were dry and they would eat them and they would sit there the women would sit there with with corn and those and beat the corn you know and grind it by hand mm-hmm. and the lake was just surrounded by by the natives of africa we were there it was their lakes and you know they just naturally knew how to take care of it. the water was crystal clear there was there was forests were beautifully green i mean it was it was just like it was when, if you go look at an old Tarzan movie, that's mm. what it looked like. Do you have any uh, wildlife close calls? Uh, other, other than, than that hippo the thing, hippo no, no, um, no, the lake was pretty, uh, it, again, I went there and did a lot of, of taking pictures and Rick was in the water a lot. Mm-hmm. He was the biologist, he wanted to see the fish. I was kind of not as much into it as he was, but no, it was, it was no, no close calls and I caught malaria on one of the trips, but got back and took, took care of that we um, ate well we ate like kings there because we stayed in in hotels and motels and they took care of us like we were kings mm-hmm. the, everything was cheap 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 mm-hmm. you know what was the last year that you were in Africa 19 I went over there with, with what's her name 1978 79 when it, yeah probably 78 okay 78, 79. Do you ever have any itchings at all whatsoever to go back? Uh, no, not anymore. I mean, yeah. it's a, it's it would be grueling. It's a, it's a grueling trip, long, long yeah. trip. Do you think part of it might also be that if you get there, you you would kind of see all those things that I talked about, the deforestation? Change, and yeah. it will it would, it would be a little depressing for you, yeah, yeah, yeah having yeah. seen it in its past yeah. condition. Now I get to do things like I, we, I was in um, Sydney, Australia, two years ago and went took the tour of, with the, our distributor out there, and he took me around through all the different towns and stuff that had our, our food, and that was a good trip. And then we, Keita and I were over in Europe last year at uh, Super Zoo, and we got to see some... Inner Zoo, right? Inner, inner, inner Zoo. Yeah. Inner Super Zoo. Zoo is Vegas. Right, Inner Zoo in uh, Nuremberg, and we had uh, had a great time there. That was my second time, her first time there. And we've gone to Canada. We just got back from Phillips Show. So we, we get to do a lot of traveling, mm-hmm. and but it's shorter trips, mm. and it's all comfortable now. <laughs> So let's talk about the the extreme lineup then. So you, you've shared some wonderful experiences of, of you know you and your brother going to Africa and your hippo story and um, just kind of what it took to actually export fish back then. Uh, so now let's give you a chance to talk more about the extreme food line. So what are some of the 
Um, I guess give me give me kind of a sales pitch. Like let's sales pitch. Okay, I would say food. that the, the 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 core of our product is the uh, is the the the, the pee wee. We call it the pee wee. It's a one point five. We actually have we actually make it in two sizes: the one point five and the three zero. You know, and I'm gonna stop you too. So once you do that, I really want you because on the car drive back, um, you went into detail some of the quality lengths that uh, Extreme goes to because it's produced here in the United States, kind of the salmonella check and those things. So I want you to dive into that quality aspect, but right. do the do the lineup. Right. The lineup, okay. Um, first, the food, uh, the 1.5, which is the core of the core of our line. Um, we, we, we offer it with little minute changes in it. We, ha- we offer it for beta. We offer it for cichlids. We offer it for community fish. We offer it for salt water. Um, I think those are the, the and goldfish. That, that line with that particular formula. And the crux of that formula is krill, shrimp, spirulina. Those are the three main ingredients that make up that formula. Now, if you get into scrapers... What's which, a, what's a, let me stop you right there, because I like scrapers. We'll talk about that. But what makes krill so special as an ingredient? You know, krill is basically a shrimp, mm-hmm. but it's, a, it's, an, it's an entire... We use the entire animal. We don't just take the meat out of it. We use the... The, 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 the scale uh, the, 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 the ectoskeleton of it the whole the whole animal is mm-hmm. is a value because you get your calcium out of it you don't have to have anything artificial so by using krill in the food you don't have to add a lot of artificial stuff to it and it already has that natural red color right so exactly the, so the shrimp the shrimp have the pink in it what are those carot- carotenoids I think yes. is the term yeah yes and herring we use herring because it's kind of a it's a it's an oily fish but we don't we don't put any oil on we don't oil coat our stu- our food so it has to have a little bit of oil in the in the product so we use herring we use octopus by the way everything we use is is um, sustainable in other words we don't mm-hmm. we don't fish none of our stuff is fished in any air where it's not constantly being reproduced mm-hmm. we don't we're not taken away from the environment mm-hmm. Our spirulina is made here in the United States. All of our products are milled in the United States. Everything, our labels, our, our um, jars, they're all made in the United States. We all put together. So it's a USA completely branded product. And it's all checked for salmonella before anything goes out the door, even though the fish fish can't catch salmonella. So that was something that I didn't even, we're talking about that on the car ride over, and it, it never even dawned on me that we would check food for salmonella, especially right. something that's not for human consumption. So what's kind of the thought process behind well, you that? Well, t- you, you, most people feed, most people that don't have the click lid feed their fish by either sprinkling in there and it, or putting it in their hand or pinching it with their fingers. Yep. Well, when you touch the fish food, if it has anything that can produce salmonella, and then you put it in your, you know, your, to your lips or your face, it can be it can be a problem for humans, mm-hmm. especially for children. So, um, as as an American-made product, it has to go through an assay test, where it's actually produced and it sits for two weeks, and it a, t- a test is made when it gets right out of the mill, out of the extruder, and then another test is made at the end of the two weeks. And if it, if the lab sees any changes in that test then that load is, is, uh, is, even though it may not have any salmonella in it, it's destroyed. Who, so who, who, who's in charge of it? Is that FDA or is that like USDA yeah, USDA. USDA mm-hmm. requirement? And mm-hmm. why don't they impose that on food that comes from overseas? Well, they have another thing called, uh, it's called APHIS, which is a, an, an international kind of a certificate that you have to get in order to bring food in this country. And why they don't do it with the assay program, I think it's because they, re- they 
party the, the certificate says in their country they abide by the rules of their country whatever those are and it may not be the same rules we have here. that's good to know so i mean it's one thing to talk about the quality of the fish food how it's going to impact your fish but now having this deeper understanding of and especially with me having my two and a half year old in mm-hmm. my fish room with me mm-hmm. helping me feed fish mm-hmm. like that's that's something i'd mm-hmm. never considered and mm-hmm. then now i'm starting to draw you know the lines are connecting because uh, a recent article came out that um, pig ears, processed pig ears that are smoked and treated in some way as dog treats, which we have fed numerous times to our dogs, um, those have been showing up with salmonella mm-hmm. on them. So mm-hmm. people are being urged to wash your hands after mm-hmm. you touch these pig ears. Mm-hmm. And then it makes me wonder, well, what other what other dog treats? You know, Most have of the time, potential? whenever you've heard of a salmonella problem, it's been an imported problem. It's mm. not been something that's occurred in the United States. We still have a bag of pig ears in my pantry. So I'm going to actually go, well, not, not the human pantry, the, the dog, the dog right. food kind of laundry room pantry. So I'm going to go home uh, when I get back home tomorrow uh, and actually check that and see if it's a U.S. made pig ear or if it's coming from overseas. But right. either way, I mean, you know, everybody out there having this knowledge that, you know, when you are touching your fish food, this is something that, if it's made here in the USA, because of you said USDA or FDA, FDA, because of FDA regulations, each batch is being tested for they call salmonella. It, they call it what, babe? Assay. An assay. Assay. Assay, yeah. assay test, right? Yeah, an assay. Right. That's a fancy right. clinical diagnostic right. term. I right. worked. I worked in that industry for a very small amount of time yes. and had to learn the term assay. Yes. No, so that's yes. uh, no, that's that's very very good to know, and that's something that you know that, that's one of the things I love doing this podcast is it just fills you know so many holes of information in, in my own fish nerd fish you know Aquarius experience that you know even if nobody listened to this podcast me having this conversation with you um, and, and learning things like that mm-hmm. that's you know that's that's really really valuable. Well, I'll tell you something interesting. This same the same mills that produce these products for fish tanks produce a similar product that's used to feed aquaculture Mm. and they don't have to go through this process because that food is not touched by you know it's not going to be it's not going to end up in somebody's living room right right and again and it drives the cost up yeah and and it's not that and it's not that somebody's going to eat the fish food in their house it's that they're they're touching it they're in your home right and they want to make sure that we're protected against that right wow very cool um so then okay cat scrapers well, we yeah. So the main the main product are those pellets. So then the the next the next thing I'm gonna go one other step before I go sure, to, sure. to cat scrapers. The next thing we did was flake, and f- taking a food that's a pellet and make it into a flake with the same formula, and trying to make it into flake is very 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 difficult. And we there's only one company that we weren't able to find, and we had we went through six or seven people to flake our food over the years, and this one company that we that we have does it for us and it's just superb and if the thing is if you, when you get back home take another person's flake and put it on a table and then take our flake and, and look at it with a magnifying glass and you'll see ours is doesn't have a lot of little lines in it mm-hmm. because it's not made it it's not made like that it's actually flat surface that comes through and it's a, and it's a crisp it's not a crisp like tetra crisp mm-hmm. because that's a crisp that's made thick yeah. But this is way for way, 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 yeah. way, that way was, thin. That was one of the it's first very, things very that I noticed is when I was feeding your uh, You could almost hear it if food. you almost think you yeah. could hear it. So, And as you're touching it and you're feeling their flake and the, and the crispiness of it, just know that there's no salmonella right. on there. Right, so. exactly. exactly. <laughs> and by the way, that, that assay test for that takes even longer because if it's, a, it's a flake. And therefore, they want to make sure. They give it, I think, a three-week test. They want to make sure because there's so much surface area mm-hmm. on a flake. So that's that's funny thing because flake is generally considered, it's, 
it's viewed in our hobby, and Corey and I have different opinions on Flake. We both really like Flake. Um, that it's it's kind of this cheap. It's a cheap food. That pellet is superior. But you know, you're telling me that Flake is more difficult to make. It also requires a longer test for this. You know, higher stringency on the uh, on this assay test. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not really like it's not really just a throwaway food. It's something that we actually have to put forth a lot of effort to produce. Exactly. Well, Tetra's came, Tetra, Tetra and Warley are the big flake people. They've been flaking flake. They've been flaking for 40, 50 years. I like years. to use that as a verb. Right. They're, they're <laughs> they've the, been flaking. They're, they're Who's going to flake me? Right. They've been flaking food for a long time. I'll flake all over this place. And 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 they do it in such huge, almost too hard to think about quantities, that. Um, it's a whole different process than what we do. I mean, in, in the amount of time that we can produce 500 pounds of flake, Tetra and Warley can produce 10 tons of it. So it's a different process. And in our process, it probably costs 20 times as much to make it yeah. as it does theirs. That's why you can go into a, a store and you can buy a, a, a thing of Tetra flake for a buck 34. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's more than it costs me just for you know before yeah. it starts that's the more than my ingredients cost yeah so but I, but I think we all have uh, Americans especially we have this appetite for artisanal for things that are made slower more small batch production mm -hmm. you see it in whiskey you mm -hmm. see it in farm-to-table goods you mm -hmm. see it in our in our food supply chain that people uh, people really want things that are of a higher quality and they're willing to pay I don't want to say a ton more but they're no. willing to pay they're willing to pay a little reasonable. bit more a reasonable amount for additional quality exactly and I think this kind of intersection of what we're talking about with brands like extreme and some some of the other you know artisanal fish food brands there out are some there very good brands out there yeah that that's what you're that's what you see and that's what right. people really want to feed their to feed their fish right right and and I you know here's there's two kinds of fish people there's the educated and then there's the uneducated the educated person generally becomes a really good aquarist and he's going to find the best food in fact i could tell this educated aquarist that all you need is to feed your fish 365 days of the year 1.5 he's going to tell me take a hike because it's not fun he wants to do the tuba flex he wants to do the, the frozen shrimp mm -hmm. he wants to he because that's part of it's like being a camera buff you know mm -hmm. you have all these different lenses and it does does all these, it's just like with fish they want to have all these little gadgets and things with it so it's true but that that guy that's going to have all those little things is not going to have junk food mm -hmm. he's going to have you know but there's also the person that says my kid wants an aquarium yeah so let's go down to walmart or target or PetSmart and, and spend 150 bucks and get the tank that's all set up which is the way to get kids involved and in, get them off the iphone and, and let me just say this 30 gallon tank is the smallest you should get your kid because anything smaller than that if he makes a mistake you're going to kill everything yeah. 30 gallon tank he can recover so you get it get him a tank and then next thing you know the kid's involved in it and then you overfeed or you feed it junk food and the water gets cloudy and the fish die you don't change that's what happens you've right. got to get educated in it but it's not hard Fish keeping is not hard. It's not expensive. It doesn't cost even a tenth of what golf costs. Mm -hmm. And your kid will <laughs> love it. You know, your kid will love it. Yeah. Yeah, I dabbled in a little golf, so I know yes. I know, I know that golf can golf, get Golf, fly fishing, get boating, skiing, yeah. any of those things you want are going to cost yeah. enormous. Yeah, f fish keeping is not hard, but you just have to be dedicated to do your water changes. Yes. And, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, you could skip a couple days of feeding, and your fish will be just fine. But you Absolutely. can't you can't skip those water changes. No. Um, but even that, those don't have to be terrible. 20 pounds, 25%, no. how hard is that? Yeah. You know? If you do, I mean, so 
five-gallon Home Depot bucket, pretty common item in people's garage. If you just change, if you just siphon out that much water right. and, and, and put new water of that same volume, that's a whole 15-minute Every process. two weeks. If you want to, if you want to, do, if you want to be cool, do it every yeah. week. But if you, let's say you're lazy, okay, every two weeks, you yeah. can get away with it. Yeah, and you're you not too overstocked, it. right? Right. Yeah. And you know what? Aquariums not only have fish, they only have water, but they have plants. Mm-hmm. And aquatic plants, some of the aquatic plants, are the most beautiful things you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. You know. I remember when uh, and you were Ur- telling me about some product that you have for aquatic plants, <laughs> which we're going to go home and get. We're yeah, going to order some. Go. What is it called? Uh, Easy Green. Easy Green. Yeah, Easy we're Green. Gonna, That's she's, our... a, she's a plant person. Yeah. So we're going to have a. We're going to set up a plant tank again yeah. and use yeah. easy green i think i think most listeners know but a full disclosure i am an employee of aquarium co-op i'm the director of operations so this is a uh you know promos and plugs abound in, in right. my podcast so, exactly uh, so enjoy those while they're in right. there yeah, well, so anyway we got the flake we got and we, right now we have krill we have spirulina we have a krill and spirulina um, combination which we call crave and we have a goldfish flake and those are our four flakes after that came along, we, the next product we came up with is called um, Scrapers, and it's got a green, it's, the protein in it is a green pea, um, and it's, it's a very, very hard pellet. It's about five to seven millimeters. How did you end up on green pea? How did Be- that come about? Because, you know, we're trying to do, the, if we could, if we could, the best thing you can feed Pocosmus is stinging nettles. That's what that, that's what's in the water. The, comp, the, the composition, the compound that's in the, in the water in South America, if you go to all those cypress plants and stuff, mm-hmm. and you see those fish are down there scraping on it, that's what they're looking for is, huh. that, is that stuff that's in stinging nettles. You can't get stinging nettles consistent in the United States. You can only get them in Asia. Okay. So we substituted it. We find, tried to find something. We found out that green pea is as close as you can come to the stinging nettle. So we use that as our, as our protein, even though we have shrimp in there and there's some herring in there with octopus in there we have spirulina but green pea is our first mm-hmm. our first uh, uh, ingredient it's about a 32 percent to 34 percent protein product a little bit on the low end because plicos and stuff like that catfish don't like high protein right, products right. and it's very very hard so that when you if you put it in your tank tank the fish that's supposed to it was designed for a nocturnal so they feed all night, and they come up to it, and they scrape on it. Mm-hmm. And that scraping is what we call scrapers, obviously. It's, the, it's what mimics what they do in real life when mm-hmm. they go on the sides of the, of the branches and the trees. And what they're not, they're eating, they're getting the cellulose from the plant, from the root, but they're not going after the cellulose. They're going after that algae that's on it. So uh-huh. the green pea has a little bit of that cellulose kind of stuff in it. That's why we, it's a great product. Yeah, it's so, a great product. so that was something where... Um, not that fish food is supposed to look beautiful by any stretch of the imagination, but these these wafers, you look at it and it's like that's not a that's not a pretty looking wafer, and that's again incredibly silly. I I submit to that 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 right. is a very silly thought to come across in my head right. uh, when I'm viewing fish food. Uh, but you know you go and feed it and it instantly sinks to the bottom, right? That makes sense exactly. Uh, and within I don't know 30 seconds, my super red uh, bristle nose are out. In the yep. other tank, the albinos are out, yep. and I'm like, "Wow, that's wow. that seems like a pretty fast response time for yep. these for these guys." Yep. And they're going to town, and then uh, and they the just super, move it all over the bottom of the, the tank. The super red tank, they actually uh, co-inhabit with some I don't even know what variety, just standard, really pretty um, assorted guppies. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden, the guppies then start going after it, yep. and so now it's this smorgasbord of these beautiful guppies, and these super reds are just going to town on this stuff. Yep. I posted it on Instagram; people, you know, seem to to really like that post. Yep. 
and they wanted to know what it was, and I told them it was going to be a secret, uh, because not, not that it's a huge secret, but uh, I wanted to wait until right. Aquarium Co-op was officially carrying this stuff, which right. uh, by the time this comes out, it should be. We should Good. be carrying it. We should have it in stock. Good. Good. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, that's um, that, really, really good food. I really like feeding that. It seems like and my shrimp, shrimp also go to town on it as well. Yep, yep. Um, so that, that is a really, really good food. You mentioned shrimp. We There's another food before we went to this one that was called Monster, and I'll get back to that. But we have a new product that came about two years called Shrimpy, and it's the same low, 34%, because shrimp, again, don't like a lot of protein. And it has a lot of the ingredients that are in the uh, scav in the in the um, scrapers but it's designed for shrimp mm. and it's not our that's what that's the only food in our line that we didn't um develop okay we the company that that remember you asked me do they make other things mm-hmm. besides tropical fish food i told you they do bear bird food and they do mm-hmm. okay one of the things they do is they build a, a product for the shrimp industry nice and it's and so we took that product and changed it a little bit f- so it would work in aquarium like food 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 shrimp food for food shrimp okay right um, because in aquarium, it's a closed sure. situation, whereas when they're out in the field, they can just throw it in the water, and if yep. what happens to it, what happens to it. So we had to make sure that it would work in a closed environment. Mm-hmm. And also, we wanted to work with those new colorful shrimp, you know, the new ones yeah. that everybody's loving. So it took about two and a half years to get it down, but it's we've had it on the market. It's, it's doing quite well. We call it shrimpy. But before we came up with that, we came up with Monster. And Monster is a combination of the 1.5 3.0, our mainstay and the scraper and that's what the monster is mm. and it's about a nine millimeter extruded pellet it looks like a cylinder and it's designed for those dove eye uh, okay large silver doll all those large yeah. large fish that you might that they can pull them into their gills and they rake them over their gill whatever those things are called back there and they scrape them and scrape them and it crumbles them all up and they eat them and you'll notice that when the fish eat them they don't expel a lot of stuff out of their gills they get it all hmm. they're able to get but it's one of those things that we didn't realize it, but we got a lot after about a year or so. We got people telling us that they would, they would feed their fry. We say fry the thing's this big. Said no, we'd stick it in the bottom of the tank, and the fish would nibble on it, eat on it, eat on it, eat on it. When they got tired of it, we'd just take a pipette and suck up what was out because it would dissolve. Nice. And it just stayed in that one little space. So it feeds it anything from a little like those little fry you saw at the yeah, farm, yeah. all the way up to, you know, huge fish. Nice. No, that's good stuff. Yep. We have pond food, which is the same. Same. We have a koi and we have a goldfish pond food, which is just the same product, only floating. Mm-hmm. What we do is we just add a little bit more starch to it, mm-hmm. and and it doesn't have as much weight to it, so it floats. Mm-hmm. And that's our line. Let me let me ask you a question. What do you think is the biggest misconception when it comes to fish food? I think it's the same thing. It comes with dog food. We have a great. We have a dog at home, and all he eats is dry food and a little bit of of uh, meat that we had, you know, canned meat, and that's all he eats. I guess the biggest misconception is that the fish need a lot of variety. Hmm. They don't. As I, Rick's farm, all they feed them is 1.5 day in and day out, and those fish go from from birth to being sold, which is about six months, and that's all they've ever eaten, and they're hearty, they're wonderful. In the lake, they don't get a lot of variety. They eat the same thing over and over and over again. So it's, it's just... Every time you put in a new, a new food in your tank, it's not. You got to remember, you're not an ocean, you're not a lake, you're not a river. You're a closed environment. Whether it's 20 gallons, 50 gallons, or 100 gallons, you, the, the more water you have, the more fish you have. And every time you introduce a new food in there, you introduce something to the water column, something to the water, and it just changes everything. So the less you do, the, 
better you're off you're going to be. Mm. I can almost guarantee if you did nothing but feed them that one food that you found they liked and it had all the stuff they needed, that's all you need to do. Mm. That's an interesting perspective. I've heard, and you know, this podcast isn't necessarily the format to debate to debate too much in depth. Um, I like to get all of my guests' perspectives and let the audience digest exactly. it. Um, I've had some guests on that 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 do propose kind of a mixed variety, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense. But then also what you're saying though, with the fact that the that a lot of fish foods already have a lot of the the nutrients and, and and things that fish need that you know not introducing unknown variables and some of that could also be well if you pick up a new food you don't know how quickly it deteriorates the water quality so exactly. you may be used to feeding one food that you kind of know when you need to siphon you know when you need to get it out of the water after maybe a heavy overfeeding or maybe there's another food that you know, dissolves much faster and you just don't have that same knowledge and that same intimacy with it. So that's, that's an interesting. And we're old school. My, and my brother and I, we started this stuff back in the seventies. And back then the only thing that we, we had was like a simple food, like we made and brine shrimp. Mm-hmm. I mean, brine shrimp was it. You either got, you either sold it, you either fed it to your fish dead or you, or you made it and you sold it to them alive. Mm-hmm. So we just, we didn't see all that variety. We didn't have all, yeah. you know, you go to a, a wonderful, we have a wonderful fish shop in, in Melbourne. Can I name it? Yeah, sure, it's absolutely. Called, it's called Nahaki's. It's just fantastic. It's not very big. You said Nahaki. N-A-H-A-C-K. Right. Shout around forever. Shout out to Nahaki. Yeah, they're oh, they're they're the best. And we have and and they have every kind of food you can think of in there. Every kind of gadget and all that kind of stuff in there. And it's so there's so there's something for everybody. But they feed their food. They're they're fish in the store all one. Yeah. I don't know if they feed them ours when we have it in the store, but. They just, yeah. you know, and their food, their fish yeah. are healthy and, and it's, just, it, it's wonderful. And it's hard to argue when you see the the proof is in the pudding. Again, using yes. that using that saying, when you go to a fish farm that, you know, the livelihood, your brother's livelihood yeah. is on this fish farm, you know, he's going to do everything in his power to make sure that he's setting himself up to be as successful as possible and to, you know, go into something as important as feeding and to shoot himself in the foot by, you know, doing something incorrect. No, I mean, I guess it's a... Uh, it's a, it, it, it's a good to, it's good to have another perspective, right? right. To have you know, right. and that's where I'm dialogue. coming from. I am not an expert on. The, I mean, we go to shows and meet people all the time, and there are aquarists out there that have that have done things that I couldn't even conceive of. So I would, if, if someone, I'm not disputing what other people do. I'm just saying it on the farm. We go from from a, a, a fry all the way up to growing them up through all the challenges of of, of getting them. To that size, then you've got to make sure you get them mm-hmm. ready to pack, and then you get you put them in the most stressful situation they'll ever be on—an airplane mm-hmm. for anywhere from five, six, ten hours in heat, and, and that fish has to get on the other end and not be stressed out with ick, you know. Yeah. And that also, a lot of that is just the animal husbandry, like yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. And honestly, there's probably there's probably so much room still to do on just getting consistent water changes and yes. keeping the water clean that yes. we're decades and light years from even having a true battle on food. Yes. You know what I mean? That just get the water changes just, down, yes. right? Just just yes. keep clean water quality. Keep water. And then we can go to battle when exactly. it comes to food. But yeah. I can but I will say this as being a food food manufacturer that if you use the right food your water will stay cleaner longer mm-hmm. because no, I can get behind that. Which, yeah. What you're taught, what what the byproduct of of food is ash. Ash is the the poop part of food, and the lower your ash content, the the better your tank is. Generally, when you see a tank that's a little bit cloudy, that's ash in there in the water. You know, it's not just the pH change, but the ash. So, a good quality food gets ingested. You don't feed as much of it, and so the water stays cleaner. It's make it gives it gives a heads up, makes it easier to keep an aquarium mm-hmm. if you feed the right food. But 
there's no two, no question about it. The most two important things are water quality and food. Mm-hmm. Those are the two things, nutrition and Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so how can people get a hold of you? And I'll make sure that I've got uh, links in the show notes to this okay. episode. So StreamAquaticFood.com. Okay. And it's with an O-E, X-T-R-E-M-E, AquaticFoods.com. Okay. So we'll have a link to that. Do you guys, yep. Are you on Instagram, Facebook? Instagram, Facebook, okay. yep, Twitter. Right. So we'll have tweeting, nice. Well, we time. don't use it, but we have a, we have a tweeting. So do, so do I. And we're also on YouTube. If I actually pulled up Twitter on my app right now, um, it would ask me for my password, and I, right. I wouldn't be able to I never it, use so. it. Right. <laughs> so there is an Aquarius podcast Twitter, but, yeah, that, right. that doesn't get used. So I'll make sure I've got links to all those in the show notes. Right. Andy, Keita, thank you so much. Again, having, what do we got, some 80s music in the background oh, while yes. recording this? In the hem- yes. in and the no air- I haven't heard a single airplane go overhead. I thought we'd hear that. I think so we're just good. being too loud. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> having too much fun. All right, guys, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you so much.